welcome to Arrows on Air, presented by Tomorrow's Air. I'm Christina Beckman, and this is a show where we meet artists, travelers, and scientists from all over the world to talk about art, travel, and climate action. Today, I'm talking with a very dear friend and professional collaborator of nearly 20 years, Shannon Stoll. This show is a place where we explore art, travel, and taking climate action. And as I've been learning along the way with this podcast, a few key themes have emerged. One, I'm calling For the Love of Air. In these stories, I find people who are seemingly fearless, making bold moves in their careers, or going to great lengths for a cause or an idea they're committed to. I'm curious about the emotional DNA of people who display these characteristics, because this sort of maverick style is what we see in the people activating for climate right now, from all different walks of life and professional perspectives. Maybe you'll see some of the maverick in yourself as Shannon shares his experiences from his upbringing in the American West and his escapades in Kurdistan and Mexico. You'll hear an appreciation for the unconventional and an openness to new ideas combined with humility, certainly a recipe for progress in any day and age. Shannon is a veteran leader with more than 25 years of business experience in adventure travel, e-commerce, outdoor retail, and environmental science. He is the CEO of the Adventure Travel Trade Association, and in 2019, he was recognized as an Outsider of the Year by Outside Magazine, and was also acknowledged by Afar Magazine in their 2019 Travel Vanguard. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, Shannon Stoll, we are finally meeting in a situation where I can record what you say. Over the years, we've been in so many situations with you telling insane stories, and <laughs> I'm really happy that we have we have this chance. Tell us um, where. So, where are you calling from today? So I'm calling from Salida, Colorado, and thank you, Christina, first of all, for having me. I'm excited to do this with you, and uh, I will try to behave myself and and uh, tell tell stories that will be helpful. <laughs> I mean, I was when I was setting up for this, I was thinking. I mean, I have so many memories of us, like in the back of jeeps and vans and buses in Brazil and in Egypt and in Xinjiang. Just so much, um, so much stuff. It was kind of like, where do you start with a person like Shannon Stoll? And one, I think, <laughs> but I think a starting point really, and, and I know some of your family stories are so amazing. One of the things that always kind of comes through in some of the conversations we have is the um, fearlessness around trying new things and around exploring exploring places and ideas. And I know that you, you know, you've certainly lived into this, but could we get like a couple stories or maybe one story? What's one of your favorite family stories? I can remember one that you told at a summit, but with that kind of setup, what comes to mind from your family history? Well, um, you know, I, I, I was shocked myself when I was doing some research on my my uh, grandparents and great grandparents, and some photos emerged of my great grandfather having built an RV in the early 1900s. 
from hand on, I think, a Model A or a Model T. I, I don't know which, but looking at that, at that picture made me realize that there was adventure in the roots of my family clear back, you know, three, four generations ago. I had uh, my ancestors were out there exploring the great outdoors. And so um, that was a really fun discovery. <laughs> Is your family from Colorado? They're from all over. Um, there was some Iowa, Missouri, and then they all ended up in Colorado. Both both sets of grandparents ended up in the the Denver and Littleton area um, for for various reasons. So so my my real memory of family is mostly in Colorado. And but so you just glossed over some things there. So what happened with the RV? I'm remembering a picture of a contraption, and then didn't he try to drive it in? To a lake, or oh, um, you might be thinking up? about my my uncle who grew the Colorado state record pumpkin and then chainsawed it in half and paddled <laughs> it around the lake. Maybe it's that. <laughs> <laughs> why? So I, why? I had did some he do very that? very unconventional relatives in my in my family tree. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The essence in there, I mean. One of the things that we're doing and that you have allowed to take root within the Adventure Travel Trade Association is a lot of unconventional, I mean, throughout your tenure, since you took over the Adventure Travel Trade Association, you have had a very maverick um, approach. And maybe because you didn't come from the travel space initially, maybe that, you know, you're sort of instinctively maverick. Um, but I think what you've allowed to happen with Tomorrow's Air, and we don't have to talk about Tomorrow's Air this whole show, but it's a perfect example of of a comfort level with um, unconventionality that uh, doesn't come from nowhere. And so that's what I would love to just kind of tell. So there's your uncle. Who else? I mean, what else? Where, like, who do you look to when you think of, when you look back in your uh, either your family tree or friends, what were some yeah. of the the influences that put you in this direction? I know also we've talked about this, like our kind of woodsy upbringing, me in Alaska mm -hmm. and you in Colorado. I mean, there's of course just like context, but are there sure. particular people or, or yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think if I, if I have to look for where the sense of adventure came from, it was definitely on my mother's side of the family. My dad's side was very stable and um, predictable and calm. And, you know, family gatherings were pretty, pretty calm, mellow. Um, whereas the Todd side, my mother's side, it was kind of insanity. And, and not from not from any um, intoxicants or anything like that, because nobody in the family even drank alcohol but they were just wild. So crazy motorcycle riding, growing giant pumpkins, catching fish, going and exploring caves. They were just consummate adventures. And I think, you know, certainly, certainly part of my interest comes from, from just who I, who I was born as, but also I did find that I, the friends that I enjoyed being with the most were yes people. And they didn't do a whole lot of analysis. Like I remember calling my buddy John and, and saying, hey, John, uh, how would you like to climb Rainier? Because we had a spot open up on our guided trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, well, when are you going? I said, well, this Saturday. And he's like, sure. 
And uh, <laughs> that just sort of typified. Say, say, my, say a little bit more about Ma- Mount Rainier for people who might not appreciate that that is kind of a wacky. That's a big mountain. Well, yeah. It's, I mountain. Mean, it, it's the hardest physical thing I've ever done in my life. It was, And I was in much better shape and much younger when I did it. Um, actually I climbed it twice, once with my brother when he was guiding us and we were, we went in April and it was brutal. Um, and then I, I went again with my, my buddy John on a guided tour with a, with a professional mountain guide and both were incredible experiences, but, uh, certainly some of the hardest work I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that John would just be like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll head up there with you on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about um, one of the craziest things I remember from my childhood with my uncles is that we got it in our heads from this book called Caves of Colorado, which is out of print now. And there's a, a book called Caverna del Oro. And the legend is that there's there was Spanish gold hidden inside. And as a like a 13, 14 year old, you can imagine how mm. my imagination went wild. But the funny thing looking back now is my uncles who were much older than me were equally um, intrigued by the idea. <laughs> just, of just as into it. Just as into it. And so we, we rode motorcycles way back into the woods. And, and um, this is before we understood um, sustainability issues and responsibility. And we had these hikers yelling at us and shaking their fists. I'm like, what's wrong? What, what are we doing wrong? I don't understand. And um, we were probably on an illegal trail, to be honest. Um, but I was a kid and I didn't really know better. And But my uncles knew without motorcycle access to get us there, we couldn't get all the gear up there. So this spot is above 11,000 feet. And so it's only open from the snow a couple months of the year. And then it is a 500 foot drop into the cave that you have to repel. And hmm. we got all the way there. We we got everything set up and we saw the sloping icy hole going down into the mountain and the blastable cold air coming out of it and we really looked hard at our capabilities and and just had to acknowledge we weren't built for this adventure we did not have the ability to do 500 foot repels and i I think wisdom came in sense (laughs) sense comes in (laughs) (laughs) so i do i do think that that's part of it because i'm i'm i definitely am calculated with risk i do take a lot of risks but i'm pretty calculated about it i'm not I know I know a couple friends who I would describe as crazy and not necessarily calculating all the risks, but I, I'm I'm somewhat careful now, especially older. I've I've become more careful. I think what I've loved about um, you know, we've been collaborating since two thousand four. Mm-hmm. And through as I was sort of reflecting on that time, you always lean towards yes first. And I feel like we have that in common of like, and there's a picture of us from some event where we're talking, like there's so, you know, our eyes are intense and both of us are holding our arms out. And we're clearly like having one of those like idea moments where we're all like super psyched about this thing and that you bring like a, a, a yes mentality and also an enthusiasm that informs the business you know, the, what we're doing with Tomorrow's Air, scaling up direct air capture with permanent storage, is that's not something that most businesses would gravitate 
towards most businesses even want to sit on the sidelines and see how it plays out. And Mm -hmm. you were able to sort of appreciate the importance of the issue. And even though I could see at different points, you were like, I'm not sure how this is going to operationally play out. You were, Mm -hmm. you were okay. Your comfort level with the ambiguity and also the confidence in like, I'll be able to handle what comes from this, or as I can sort of pull from your last story, you probably also kind of had in your back pocket, like if it gets, if it's looking like a bad idea, we can always pause it for a while. So, but I think this is like, there are so many different kinds of leaders and you have always had this, um, this yes ability and, and the ability to be okay with, with inconclusive future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, if I had to describe my favorite kinds of trips, which I think can be paralleled with our business too, it's the, un, mm. it's the unknown, it's the unplanned, it's the big win that you couldn't see coming. And, and that could be as simple as, a, as an amazing conversation with a, a local when you're, when you're on a trip. Um, or getting a yes from somebody for um, a, a partnership or a sponsorship or or an engagement with a destination, like definitely feel like it's worth going with the crazy ideas. But I will also say I very much appreciate the balancing out that I have of people on my team who are calmer, cooler heads mm-hmm. uh, and, and more calculated. And I and I see the I, I love mm-hmm. the healthy tension. So I want them to be skeptical, but I need to stay wide open and push, mm-hmm. push boundaries and push new ideas. But also I need to listen to those smart people on my team. And I have mm-hmm. had, I, I've been reined in by people on the team before who have just said, this idea is two steps too far, um, mm-hmm. or at least at this time. And so maybe over, over time, I've learned to really listen to the, the, um, the analytical people on the team. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like I, I need to continue to push the boundaries in order to make sure that we don't that we don't just stay on conventional paths mm. because the adventure mm-hmm. travel industry is not conventional. It should never mm-hmm. be conventional. Mm-hmm. And even I mean, you know, forget adventure. I think travel. What animates people for travel is that it's pushing their border, mm-hmm. whatever border that is. It's like. I need to see something new and feel something new. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah. you one of the uh, trips that I always thought was pretty bold of you, um, and I think you went with Natasha Martin, who we've also interviewed on this show, uh, was to Kurdistan. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you maybe just share a little bit about what that experience was like and why you thought to go there what you know what what was the calculus that was like i'm gonna go there well you know there there's a deep root in it on my again on my mother's side i had an uncle who studied kurdish and was uh worked with kurdish refugees in the 80s in germany and so he he actually spoke two different dialects of kurdish and um and i remember meeting the kurds that would come and spend time in his home in Dallas, these men with big mustaches and smoking incessantly and 
teaching my uncle and aunt how to how to speak and read and write uh, Kurdish. And so it lodged in my head. And I was in Jordan, which is um, one of my favorite places in the world um, for an event that we put on. And I know this is going to sound funny, but I was looking at the map and I went, wow, Kurdistan is literally a two hour flight away. I could go to Kurdistan. I should do this. And as you know, Kurdistan is the the, the northern part of Iraq, but really operates fairly autonomously. And so it just lodged in my head. And um, so I've actually been twice. I went in 2009, but I, the story you're referring to or the trip was um, in 2017. And actually, my son was with me on that trip, too, along with Natasha Martin and a couple of other good friends. My son actually turned 17 on that trip, which um, was pretty incredible that he was in Iraq for his 17th birthday. And we stood on a hillside at one point and could hear, hear the bombing of Mosul, how oh, man. the U.S. Oh, man. And, yeah, the U.S. and Iraqi troops were, were in the final pincher days on, um, on eliminating ISIS from Mosul. And I just thought as we stood on that ridge and looked, we were in a monastery that was built in like 1100 or something like that. And the priest had just told us how ISIS had gotten all the way to them and everyone fled. And he, he and one other family stayed to defend isn't the right word, but they were, they just refused to leave. And they watched ISIS drive all the way up to the gate. And then the Kurdish army came rolling in and saved them basically. And and so it was just such an intense trip. Uh, that went back and forth between glorious views, special connection with locals, and then terrifying stories. Um, and so, yes, I would say that was probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I'm marveling at, uh, I'm trying to imagine the conversation. I'm imagining myself saying to John, I'd like to take Jack to Iraq for his 17th birthday. I mean, I don't, you know, he's been very liberal. We, I've taken Jack to Greenland and to Cambodia, but these are places that um, are not close to bombing. What a, so tell me about some of the local people you met there. What's the, what's the human spirit that you came across in your conversations there? Well, um, I mean, the, the United States history with Kurdistan is complicated, like most places. And and one Kurd said it best. He said, the Kurds don't really have any friends but the mountains. I think that's a common Kurdish saying. But the U.S. has been about a, a good of a friend as we could have. And um, and we we actually, the U.S. betrayed the Kurds again in the last four years during the, the last administration, which was super painful to watch. But the the people themselves, they it, they're just so kind and loving and we got invited for tea i don't know 15 times per day by strangers and people gave us gifts even though we were saying no 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 we you know it, it's good just to spend time with you and and just these really precious conversations and some really really hard stories um and so there were some really touching moments there was a moment where i made a misstep and caused a real problem because I didn't mm. understand the situation. You mm. know, I, we were going to be going to a Yazidi, um, this Yazidi people. Um, you can look them up on Wikipedia. It's a fascinating story. But ISIS 
hates the Yazidis more than they seem to hate anyone else. And so they had just mm. tormented the, this people. There are a lot of refugee camps in Kurdistan full of Yazidis. And, and so I bought a soccer ball at a gas station when we were on our way. And I thought, well, this will be really fun. It was like $2, you know, and um, we'll give it to the kids to play with because I'm guessing they, they're pretty light on possessions. And so we pulled into this this uh, refugee camp and this you know, horde of kids between probably five and 15 came and surrounded us and they were all excited and everybody was happy. And we were the ones who could speak a little English. We were talking a little bit and we had an interpreter and um, the kids just were full of joy. And, and I thought, oh, this is the perfect time. I'll bring the soccer ball out. And I brought it out and threw it to the crowd. And it was like throwing raw meat to a school of piranhas. And suddenly there was just total violence, fighting, the kids punching and scratching. Oh, my God. Shannon. Everybody wanted the ball. And I, I, I thought, you know, because I played with played soccer with kids in a lot of places around the world, which I love to do. And um, and so I thought I was doing the right thing, but I'd actually set off a, a total conflict and I didn't know what to do. So I waded in and just started clawing kids away from each other and yelling, no, no. And, um, and I, and I grabbed the ball and I didn't know what to do with it. And all these kids were leaping and out of total panic, I just handed it to one of the biggest kids who took off running with about 20 other kids chasing him. I was so troubled by that and just thought, man, I, I just, I created a huge conflict. I didn't see it coming and I, I need to, I need to really think twice before I just make a move like that in the future. So it was it was, it was a, it was a real learning moment. It was, um, sad and it was just one more indicator of how hard life is for so many people and how good so many of us have it. So it was very humbling. I am, I can see this scenario so well, and your intention is coming from such a beautiful place. Like this is so fun. We're going to have so much fun. Right, we're going to play soccer. <laughs> mm -hmm. And by the way, uh, one of one of my most favorite memories was when you and I and seven or eight other people challenged those kids in Brazil, the fifteen year olds, to play soccer, and they crushed us. Do you remember that in soccer? <laughs> I do <laughs> mm -hmm. So that that was the sort of experience I was remembering and uh, looking for a good thrashing, but um, didn't see that coming. I think it's also like I'm thinking about Ashton, about your son mm -hmm. and his, you know, you're communicating to him also this kind of like unguarded, unbridled, uh, yes, like mm -hmm. the rush to fun. I have a cool idea. Let's do that thing. And mm -hmm. I think it's such a, like, it's such a cool thing for him because he's also, you know, absorbing these kinds of experiences mm -hmm. into his, you know, he's going to, people are going to present him with crazy ideas in his life. And he's going to be like, Hey, that sounds fun. Let's give it a try. And, and then learn the lesson on the back end. Um, right. Because right. A lot, I, I kind of feel like, I wonder what you think of this too, is like more often than not, like sometimes these crazy ideas end badly like what you just described. Sure. But more often than not, the crazy ideas or the unlikely friendships are are to the benefit. Like I'm more often pleased 
with the outcome of my crazy ideas than not. I I would I would totally agree with you. And I think it, it does bring in that calculated risk part, right? Like not being mm-hmm. completely unhinged with your ideas, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but but not being afraid to do something risky and mm-hmm. look like a fool. I don't I'm I'm generally not too afraid. Like I don't You're mind super both. okay with that from I don't, <laughs> I, I've told so many bombed jokes from stage and it's not that I enjoy bombing, but I don't care that much. I think it's sort of fun. I enjoy people making fun of me later by saying your joke was awful. Um, I would rather do that than than have a boring conventional talk, to be honest. I would rather bomb. What I'm remembering, and I was thinking, like, should I say this or should I not say it? But do you remember when it was at one of our conferences when you had your lavalier mic on and you oh. left the stage? Yeah, that was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. We're still well, going to tell what happened. Set that yeah, one up. Was, because we were nervous about that too. We were in Scotland. It was a big presentation for you. Yeah, it was the it was the closing night of the summit. And um, I always feel like I have to defend myself at the beginning of the story that I did go to the sound booth and said, is my mic off? They said yes. And I tapped on it and it didn't make any noise. Well, then I went to the restroom and somebody flipped my mic back on and it was not me. And um, so I used the urinal and I talked with somebody in the restroom and washed my hands. But I think that I think the mic went on right about the point when I was washing my hands because everybody said they heard water rushing. And then what was like a vacuum cleaner overtook the entire yeah. plenary area and blew the speaker That's out. That's what I remember. Yeah. yeah. So it was the hand, it was the hand dryer. So mm. my mic went on while I was in the bathroom and it was played out to the entire audience of 700 people. And so I walked in and there's all this laughing going on and I'm like, what's going on? It's also <laughs> so like, you know, in the, la- in the language of the day, it's so vulnerable and that, um, you know, that brought everybody to you. Um, th- I want to, I'm thinking about like when you first, so you came, you come from the outdoor gear industry. I know mm-hmm. you were one of the first to do online gear retailing through mm-hmm. Alltrack, yep. but it mm-hmm. is kind of a little bit off center to mm-hmm. me. I sell gear on the internet and now I'm going to take over this this organization, this international organization of small businesses and try and bring them all the, like, what were, what were you thinking in there? What did you see as the big vision opportunity back then? You know, that the, the vision that I had back then honestly wasn't that big. It was, um, it developed over time. And I think what drew me to the opportunity is I could sense that, that it, it was totally underutilized. And when I reached out and talked to the the existing members, so many of them were just like, the ATTA is a joke. Like we're, we're a member, but we don't get anything. I think we get a newsletter and you get newsletters for free. This is back in 2004. And, and I'm looking at all these killer businesses run by, you know, Mavericks who are, who have created a business because they love rafting or going to, you know, deep into Africa or, or Asia or whatever. And they didn't really have a home, a place to hang out. And, and so 
that was really appealing to me. I was tired of outdoor gear because when you do retail, you're essentially fine tuning a machine to sell stuff that you didn't make for more than you bought it for. And it honestly, I got bored and, and I was looking at all these adventure travel companies and thinking this has to be one of the most exciting industries in the world. Mm. And then Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, Christina, I reached out to a lot of people and just asked a lot of questions. And I felt like Mm -hmm. we were going to get support in in the the late, great George Went. Mm. Um, I I have a memory of asking George. I I, I told George, um, because we were at a show in Chicago for adventure travel, which was kind of a joke, actually. It was was tucked away in the back of a boat show, a marine and boat show. But Mm -hmm. I went to George and I said, hey, George, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking we're going to do an industry event and and try to bring do a conference for adventure travel companies, and he says sounds great. Now what's it going to be? And um, and <laughs> so he's, he committed. He supported us when he right. didn't even really know what it was going to be. And and I could name a right. hundred other people on here that made phone calls for us on our behalf and said everybody show up in Seattle on this date. And I remember one of this grumpy travel agent lady came up to me and she goes. I'm here because Helen Nodlin told me I needed to be. <laughs> and uh, you could tell she was not excited that she was at this event. And But she came because somebody told her to, that she trusted. And so, honestly, I had the gift of trust from a number of amazing people in the adventure travel and regular travel industry that, that really went to bat for us. And and so um, I was so nervous, Christina. I remember the night before the day, the event kicked off. and. My my stomach was upset. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I was, I was also. I was up yeah. at four a.m. and well, I knew nothing were, about that event. Exactly. And there were I there was a word that got back to us from an, an adventure travel great who said, "Who are these guys? And how can they call this the Adventure Travel World Summit? Does anybody even know who these people are?" And mm-hmm. for me, that was a lesson too. And that sometimes you just need to declare something that you believe in, and then oh, do it. Shannon, yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that so, so much. Well, like, Christina, this that, is, that's what you've done with Tomorrow's is, There. That's, that's what, what we're doing. Yes. Who are we to do this thing? Who are we to aggregate travel to take on or contribute to this massive thing? And yet, by declaring it and starting to do it, we draw, we're drawing all the right conversations. I feel that's why I, that's why it's like, when somebody says, like, tell me the connection with ATTA, it's like, it couldn't be, it really had to be this way. Because this right. is where that heart, you know, these united hearts on outsize vision. And so you did it. So, sorry, I totally interrupted you. But I feel like, so connected on those themes. So that first, so over the years, then you've developed all these relationships. Um, I kind of want to get us to a comp- a story that I know you have in Mexico. So you've developed these relationships with tourism ministries and tourism boards, countries around the world. You end up visiting these countries on kind of government um, projects because the government says, essentially, we want to develop adventure nature tourism as an economic driver in these rural areas. Mm -hmm. We'd like to do it sustainably. I think most of the co- destinations we work with say that sort of thing. Can you can you guide us and can you help us make it a success by connecting us to this global market? Right. 
Well, and so, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that you and I both have talked about a lot is that adventure travel is sort of a, um, it's, it's an edgy part of travel, but we are a community of people that have a bigger mission than money. And I think that is part of the reason for our success is because we've been clear about our, our goals and our mission from day, I won't say day one, but day early. And so you attract like-minded people. And so the reason that matters is without a champion in a destination, you're always going to be pushing the rock uphill. And, and so I think that's one thing we've done a great job of is being so vocal about our mission that people in positions of power sometimes show up and say, you know what, I've been waiting for you guys. Um, I have the same or a similar vision as to you and we need to work together to make mm. this happen. And mm -hmm. I think one of the coolest memories of my entire career remains the relationship with President Calderon of Mexico. And it was because he personally loved adventure. He cave dove. He rappelled into the Swallows Cave. He, he mountain biked. He, he is a true adventurer. And so when we met, he kind of took me under his wing and I got invited to a bunch of different events that really I shouldn't have been at, to be honest. And um, so he invited me to a film festival and I sat next to him and his wife. <laughs> like a celebrity. To, uh, it was crazy. I, 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 had, I was invited to a lunch with all the tourism ministers from Mexico and President Calderon. And he made sure that I sat at the same table as him. And, mm. and you know this about me, Christina, that I have a physical weakness, which is I sweat if the temperature goes <laughs> above 45 degrees. And it, it was a sweltering hot room and I had a suit on and I was dying. I was sweating. I was dripping from every, every part of my yeah. body. And President Calderon, he looks over at me and he goes, it's okay. You can take your jacket off. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I want to, but I'm so pitted out. I'm going to be so embarrassed. <laughs> it's going to get worse if I, I take it off. I just sat there and suffered and just thought, don't pass out. Don't pass out. Oh, Shannon. <laughs> but the, the point of the story is that Calderon loved our message about sustainability. And so he supported mm -hmm. it. And man, when somebody like that supports, uh, mm. supports something, everybody falls into line. And so the event was just incredible. He, he ended up speaking at the Adventure Travel World Summit and opening the event and getting a standing ovation. He set aside his notes and talked about his love for adventure, for quiet places, and how the people who live in those places, we must engage with them because they're the ones that are taking care of the forest and the river and the ice, you know, the, whatever it is, it's, it's the local people who are taking care of it. I also just have in my mind in general, like what, what we've done, what you've led with the Adventure Travel Trade Association, which is a very grassroots kind of connection with, with the people who, with the, you know, the boots on the ground, the people mm -hmm. who deliver the experiences mm -hmm. that sustains the organization through, you know, fluctuations because those people share and are united in in a a dream mm -hmm. of bringing people into the wilderness and enlightening them and having them learn and 
you know, feel something out there. And so the people at the Adventure Travel Trade Association wake up and think, how can I help my members? What can I do? What's going to make things? And so that and the relationship with those individual members who will call you up, like I'm on WhatsApp messages with Mm -hmm. people who are giving me their specific, I have to, it is a gift that somebody would take the time to tell you what they think about your service. Yeah. When I look back on our history with ATTA and our success in building such a strong and and diverse community across the world, I think it's because we've always been mission focused. And I know that's... So there is a story that I was hoping you might share, but you didn't. And maybe you don't want to. But was <laughs> there was there something more in Mexico, Shannon? Was there like an escapade there? Oh, well, there have been many, but I, I actually... <laughs> Not the tequila-soaked ones. I'm talking about, like. <laughs> no, I got, um, I got uh, sort of kidnapped by, by the staff of a Mexican governor um, to meet him. And it happened in just such a funny way because we were, we were kicking off an, an official trade event and I was the opening speaker and I was backstage and getting ready to go on stage. And one of their staff came to me and said, the governor would like to meet you. And I said, oh, well, okay, we're, we're about to go live, but it is the governor. So sure, of course. Uh-huh. And he goes, okay, follow me. And I thought, okay, well, it'll, it'll get delayed. It'll be fine. And, and I'll just come out and, you know, they'll delay until I come back. And so I, I followed this guy through the backstage and all of a sudden we're outside and I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm the opening speaker. My, my team is waiting for me. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to meet the governor. And I, and, I, and I realized that meeting the governor trumped everything else that, everything else that, everything else will wait. <laughs> so, that- so, so he takes me outside. So I thought, okay, okay I guess I'm going to meet the governor outside here when he gets out of his car. And they're like, here, get into this. And so suddenly I'm in a bulletproof vehicle. And I'm I'm going through the streets of the city at night. It's probably nine at night. And my team and my wife don't know where I am. I just disappeared. And here I am getting shuttled across town in a, in a, in a motorcade of bulletproof vehicles. And I end up at the, at the palace and they put me in this giant room and I'm alone. And I sit in there and and I just, this is so crazy and weird. (laughs) I was reflecting that this is actually these sorts of things have happened so many times in our careers in adventure travel. And <laughs> at sometimes, you know, it's, it drives you mad, but honestly, it's so fun because it's so unpredictable and you have no idea what's going to happen. Even when you think you know what's going to happen, that's not what's going to happen. That's and, not and that, what's going to happen. I suppose for somebody who has a very linear personality and appreciates planning, that would not be fun. Um, but for me, I, I really enjoyed it. So the governor came in and I met him and he walked me around and showed me uh, portraits of past governors. And we, we talked for a while and I finally said, you know, about this event tonight, right? With all these international buyers and media that are, that are um, gathering at the, at the center. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Somebody told me about it. And I'm like, I bet they'd love to meet you. And he's like, all right, let's go. And so, <laughs> so, so we all go outside. <laughs> We all go outside and he actually um, tells the driver to sit in the back. And so the governor drives. And again, we're back in the bulletproof uh, vehicle with the glass, windshield glass so thick, it distorts the the, the images of everything you see wow. on the outside. So the governor himself drove and we rolled back into the party, which finally I was able to get um, 
service when I was at the palace and texted the team and just said, roll without me. Um, and so all, all ended up well. And we ended up there about an hour and a half into the event. Um, but oh, yeah, um, our, our career, and I know you have a lot of stories like this too, where you just get blindsided by things when you're, when you're doing adventure travel events in another country. But, um, honestly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think one of the most important characteristics of a person in those, in, in that position is humility. And just acknowledging, I'm not the one in charge, um, and and I'm in somebody else's culture, and, and sometimes even in their living room, you can make a lot of mistakes, but if you're humble and kind, you're going to be forgiven for pretty much all of them, unless you do something really dastardly. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for for being on the show today. Oh, it was so fun. Thank you, Christina. 